This podcast is brought to you by the Institute for Excellence in Writing. IEW provides teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training students to become better listeners, speakers, readers, writers, and thinkers. To learn more about IEW and their 100% lifetime money-back guarantee, visit IEW.com start. Again, that's IEW.com start. Hey there, everyone, and welcome back to The Mason Jar here on the Searcy Institute Podcast Network. I am David Kern, and here in just a moment, we are going to be bringing you a very special episode of The Mason Jar. Cindy joined her friends over at the Scolay Sisters, that's Misty, Brandy, and Pam, for a really interesting conversation about how moms can continue their own education and uh, model the kind of things that they want their students to be doing uh, in their own education. Now, this is a two-part episode that we are calling Moms Learn and Grow. And we are airing part one here on the Cersei Institute Podcast Network on the Mason Jar. And the Scolay Sisters will be airing part two on their podcast. So as soon as part one is over, you can head over to their podcast, which we definitely hope you are subscribed to already. And you can listen to part two of the show. Um, they'd had basically it was we did one long episode, one long conversation that we cut into two parts. So you will definitely want to skip over to the second uh, part over at the Scully Sisters if you want to hear the whole conversation. It's not two separate conversations on two separate topics. It's uh, two parts to one conversation. So just to clarify that bit, um, we also want to let you know that one of the reasons why we did this is as Cindy talks about in the intro of the conversation that they have. Um, she is participating in the Scolay Sisters online local retreat. It's called Learning Well, and it's on Saturday, September 15th. And you can learn uh, about all the details and all the you know, requisite information on registration over at scolaysisters.com slash learn. That's, if you're not familiar with the Scolay Sisters, that is S-C-H-O-L-E sisters.com slash learn. Like I said, Cindy is going to be uh, taking part in that, and we are really excited um, for that opportunity for Cindy um, and we hope that you will be a part of that event um, it's a very reasonably priced thing they have a they have a money-back guarantee um, and it, it's a you know the beauty of an online thing of course is just how easy it can be to participate in it so we hope that you will do that um, all right you don't want to hear from me anymore that's good enough so I'm gonna kick it over to Cindy's conversation with um, the wonderful women over at the school sisters so this is Cindy with Brandy, Misty, and Pam. Enjoy. I'm here today, as we said in the welcome, with some very good friends of mine. I'm here with Misty Winkler, Brandy Vincel, and Pam Barnhill. It's kind of exciting. We're having a double podcast. And one of the reasons we're doing this is because in September, the Scully sisters are having a retreat called Learning Well. It will be a national retreat that you can sign up for online, and you can even sign up for it even as we speak online at scolaysisters.com backslash learn. Today, we thought in order to get you guys ready for the conference, which I'm very excited about because we're going to be recording it near my home, we thought we would just have a little conversation, talk about a mother's, a mother's life and the lifelong learning of a mother. The first part of the podcast will be on the mason jar, which we are now. And then for the second part of the podcast, you can go over to Scully Sisters to their podcast 
and you can hear the rest of the conversation. For the first part, we'll concentrate a little bit more on Charlotte Mason, and the second part, we'll just we'll probably have way more fun on their podcast. We'll just be so serious on mine because that's how we do it on the Mason Jar. <laughs> Hopefully not. Hopefully this will be a real lighthearted Mason Jar episode for everyone. So welcome, girls. Welcome to the Mason Jar. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So let's hear your voices. All right, Misty, say something. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, I'm Misty Winkler. I, I was homeschooled myself all the way through, and now my husband and I homeschool our five kids in Washington State. So the retreat in Chattanooga in September is going to be my first time in the South. Oh, my goodness. Well, we could talk about that for a while. That's <laughs> going to be so exciting. <laughs> all right. So that was Misty. How about Brandy? All right. Uh, my name is Brandy Vensel, and I run afterthoughtsblog.net, and I went to public school, but they still <laughs> let me on the show. Uh, <laughs> Miss second generation. <laughs> anyway, um, and I live in California where, I don't know, it's sort of like living in Portland, right? Keep it weird. <laughs> we, I think yeah, so. It's pretty a big, much. big place. <laughs> Is it all like Portland or just some of it? You know, I actually, where I live, they often call it the Texas of California. So we own guns and vote red. <laughs> okay. You have that little red dot in the middle. Of, okay. But, you know, there's there's very large cities here. So we get bossed around by LA and San Diego and San Francisco. Yeah, I've never been to California and I, I'm really hoping to manage that one. Of the, I was supposed to go this year and it just didn't work out, but it's far away. <laughs> Well, we need to do Scully Sisters Hit California sometime. That'd be fun. Yeah, there we go. There we go. That'll work. Okay, and Pam Barnhill, you're a Floridian, right? Actually, uh, I'm originally from Florida, but I live now in uh, South Alabama. Oh, that's right. Uh, which you can probably tell from the accent. <laughs> and I blog at pambarnhill.com. And I have been to California recently. It was very strange because it was cool <laughs> the entire time I was there. It was June and I expected it to be really hot and it wasn't, but it felt like winter in Alabama. So that was interesting. Well, now that's what I've heard about California. It isn't always like we think of it as really hot, but it's actually kind of temperate all year, some parts of it, right? Yeah. And I was in South California. I was um, near LA and uh, it was, it was very, not what I was expecting at all. Mm. So when I lived in LA, we called it June gloom. Oh, so Pam, what are you up to these days? I am up to children and <laughs> got my uh -huh. three kids. Uh -huh. and up to how many? <laughs> three kids, only three. Yeah, we're 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 probably like that's probably it. <laughs> three dogs. We're hoping that's it. And uh, oh, yeah. yeah, getting ready to kick off the school year. So I've been doing a little homeschool planning myself. Almost got it done, and we're going to kick off at the end of end of July. So I'm excited. Wow. So what about you, girls? When are you starting? This was my first week. Oh, you already started. Okay. And Brandy, was that Brandy or Misty? Uh, that was Misty who already started. And it's funny. I'm like, I don't know. Let me pull up my calendar. Oh, I'm thinking Monday the 20th of August looks good. <laughs> oh, yeah. There we go. Okay. So, now we have a plan. You've you you <laughs> So all listeners, everywhere, who, everyone who's listening, now is your chance to pull out your notebook and pick that, yeah, that really. day for, yes. for the homeschool oh start. We start back August 6th. That, so I've been busy planning also, getting ready. I'm getting excited, printing out 
art prints at Walgreens oh, fun. and all, all kinds of fun things like that. Would one of you give me an overview of what the conference is going to be about? Lifelong learning. Is, is that correct? It is. Misty, do you want to, I know you are the best at <laughs> articulating what in the world we do here. <laughs> Will you please save us right now? <laughs> well, of course, our homeschools are about learning, but we usually think of that in terms of what we are wanting our kids to learn. And what we need to be thinking about is ourselves as learners, as well as our children. Instead of having all of our focus all about what we're going to teach them, like what they're going to get or what they're going to do, it's like, what are we going to do together? And if we aren't excited about the learning, we really can't expect them to be excited about the learning. And I think I actually mm. remember years and years ago when my oldest, who's now 15, was like five. And <laughs> that's when I was reading Cindy's blog every day. If there wasn't a new post, I'd read the archives. <laughs> And, That's right. Um, yeah, I remember that being a big thing that I wrestled with that Cindy would say often was that it's about our learning too. We have to be interested. If we want interested kids, we have to be interested in it and engaged. And I didn't want to. <laughs> I was like, I don't, I don't have mm. to, do I? <laughs> and, <laughs> So was it because the material you were using was boring or what made you not want to learn along with your kids? You, or you just didn't want to have the pressure? Um, I think I was approaching it like a project. I wanted it for them, but I, I recognized how much effort and involvement that is. Like, I didn't think there was enough of me. It was part of it. Right. To, to be mm. spread that thin or spread that much. Mm. Right. And it's like, I already have enough on my plate. Like they can do, they can do that thing. This is their time of life to do that, to be interested and read and learn and do all these things. I'll let them and I'll help them. But to also have that, I don't know, almost responsibility or it felt like one more thing, I guess. Yeah. And when you do have a house full of small children, Educating yourself at that point is not the priority. That's why homeschooling is so wonderful because you can kind of sneak it in accidentally and you can keep growing and learning. But it is something that if you think, well, oh, now I'm going to add something new to my plate, that definitely becomes overwhelming when you have a, a house full of small children. Mm -hmm. I have to say I'm shocked. <laughs> I, I never would have thought. I'm, I'm just like flabbergasted over here. I never would have expected that attitude from Misty Winkler. <laughs> but then having said that, you know, and Cindy following it up with talking about the house full of small children, I'm trying to think back. Like, what was it like when I had, you know, only small kids? <laughs> I wasn't, I guess I wasn't pursuing anything horribly intellectual at the time, but I was still interested in doing things. I'm a little shocked, Misty. <laughs> well, I can there kind you of go. see that with her. I can see why, because she hits everything hard and she does it as yeah. a, well. Mm -hmm. So instead of thinking, I'm going to naturally learn some with my children, she might've been looking at it like, oh no, here's another goal. I have to make a notebook about it. Or, <laughs> <you> know, <so. laughs> right. And, and also I was what, 25 or 24, 25, yes. 26. And yeah. I didn't want yeah. to admit that I didn't already know it all. Come on. <laughs> oh, there we go. I never went through that stage myself, but <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> but I, 
certainly recognize it in younger women everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, and maybe that's the difference is by the time I had a lot of little kids around, I was not 25 anymore. I was well past that age. And by that time, realized that I knew nothing <laughs> and still had a lot left to learn. <laughs> Well, that's so interesting because you were starting mothering at it and you're thinking, oh no, look what I've missed. I've got to catch up. And uh, right. as opposed to someone who's just come out of school, just come out of a life, 12 years at least of high school and some college. And then suddenly, you know, our attitudes towards learning can hinder us at that point. And I especially think of that now with so many young moms that they've already been cheated out of an education, even as I was. It doesn't seem like a bargain deal to go pursue education because they've already um, feel that they've behind and they've lost in some ways. And and they also think of the effort of school. And I don't really think lifelong mm-hmm. learning has to be like that. I don't think it has to be um, an effort, an overwhelming effort. I do. I think it should be organic and natural. But if we don't have a goal of doing it, then it's not going to be, you know, if our imaginations haven't grabbed onto that idea, then I don't think it will happen. But if they have, I don't think it has to be overwhelming. Now, having learned for many years, along with your kids, how do you feel now, Misty? Well, one of the things that I remember noticing, so we could take math as the perfect example, right? Because I was homeschooled. We used Saxon math. And one vow that I made <laughs> that I kept <laughs> was I would never open a Saxon math book again. <laughs> mm. And so far, yeah, you never well, say never. That is true. <laughs> I'm not, not done, done yet. yet. But, um, and I took my last college math class at 16 at the community college. And I was so proud of that fact. Mm. It's like even being interested and, in, you know, the kids, sure, maybe they'll be interested in math, but it's kind of too late for me. And by the time mm. I had my, I worked through second grade math with my third, you know, now my fourth child and it, and it makes sense. And I understand it so much better, partly because there wasn't the pressure, mm-hmm. I think, because I'm just teaching, you know, I'm not really the student being assessed. And also just the practice, the over and over repetition of it. And now it's like, I can do my own column edition when I play a board game. <laughs> Instead of <laughs> handing it off to my husband and say, here, you find out how many points I scored. <laughs> that is so true. And I, there is that repetition where you you go through second grade math over and over and over. And all of a sudden, things that didn't make sense in math suddenly do start making sense. Um, not because you're, you know, studying it exactly the way the kids are, but because you're seeing it over and over and over again, and you are picking up patterns as you go, I think. And in that way, I think homeschooling is such a way to rescue all of us from the poor education that we receive. Now, I'm in the middle of writing a book on, basically, it's a book on mother culture, you could say. But one of the things that I was saying that I've noticed, and Missy, you're a really good example of this, is almost everyone I meet, whether they were homeschooled, public schooled, or private school, has a list of things they're not going to do with their children. Maybe they're not going to homeschool them, or they're not going to send them to Christian school because they see all the downfalls. All of us, in some ways, come out of school 
And we feel a little bit cheated by the system, you could say, whatever system that was. The truth of the matter is, and I think Charlotte Mason would agree with this, since all education is self-education, it doesn't really matter where we came from. It is now on us, and it's now up to us to make that transition and to begin to think like people who are learners and not people that are saddled with this sad story of the past where you don't know anything because your mom didn't mm-hmm. teach you. <laughs> and and it's not just homeschoolers. That's what I find so ironic about the whole thing. It isn't just homeschoolers that look back because because we know that there are, you know, as someone who has been educating myself now for a long, long time, I know how many holes are still in my education. So I know that my kids had holes in their education. It's quite impossible to graduate from high school without massive gaping holes in your education, no matter what school you go to. So if you really want to be someone who is educated or a lifelong learner, then then you you have to take the job on yourself. It's really up to you to make that happen. I think that some of this resentment we have towards our childhood education, because that's kind of what I would call it. Like you said, Cindy, it doesn't matter where you went to school. Most people have this. But I think is this idea that knowledge is this destination we're supposed to arrive at. We feel like I should have arrived at it, whether it's high school or whether it's your bachelor's degree or whether it's something behind that. There is this sense of at some point I'm supposed to arrive at that destination of knowing things. <laughs> I'll, I'll find this for the show notes and I'll give it to you guys. But there is a quote from Charlotte Mason somewhere that talks about knowledge as being more of a relationship. And it's one that you drift in and out of. So yes. like, yes. you could have a stronger relationship. But uh, for me, viewing it that way, it makes so much sense that this is it's a lifelong like knowing itself is a lifelong endeavor. Which I think is why sometimes, like Misty, when we're talking about the Paideia book, we're often like, I I got it, I got I don't got it. I got it. Yeah. I, you know, yeah. <laughs> there's like this. It's almost there, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I just think it's comes it comes from that whole thing that we're building a relationship. And so our comprehension falls in and out of connecting with what we're learning and all that stuff. But anyway, if we, I mean, we're not really talking about preventing resentment, but I think about that a lot with our kids, that helping them have the mentality of knowledge being this way of relating to the world around them. Mm -hmm. I think that maybe helps them not feel like they've been, I don't know, cheated in some way just because there's something they don't know. Like that's just a place where they can then more further develop their relationship, right? Like now they see where their relationship is lacking and they can carry that forward. I remember when my son was six and he went to the, he's at the doctor's. And the doctor said, are you right-handed or left-handed? And my son whipped around and looked at me and said, "Um, you never taught me that. (laughs) 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 Wow. But it is an embarrassment of, of not being able to say, I don't know. And whether we're an adult or a child, embracing that I don't know is maybe sometimes very difficult for us. So we we don't want it to be our own fault that we don't know something, but we don't know when we get comfortable doing that, which it, it wasn't easy for me to get comfortable doing that. 
But when we do get comfortable doing that, then um, it opens up the world where we don't have to know everything. We we get to learn it. Right. Yeah. Not knowing is an adventure. <laughs> yeah. And we even want to. I don't think that I felt so much resentments as much as I felt done. And now it's my life. Now I only want to learn what I want to learn. I don't want anyone to tell me I have to learn all these things. <laughs> yeah. Right. I only want to read what I want to read now. Well, is is that wrong? <laughs> I mean, thinking of Charlotte Mason and her, her and the, and the science of relations is that not a good thing? Well, I think if we're careful, though, it can be also that we have disordered affections. That is true. That is absolutely true. But as we order our affections, we have to start kind of where we love. I, I mean, some or at true. least kind of like. And then yeah. move our way towards loving other things. But I don't think it's wrong to say, I have this given amount of time and I'm going to, to learn the things I love to learn about. I, yeah. I, I think there's a lot of, I know we should learn certain things and there's a lot of shoulds involved, but maybe there are less shoulds than we think there are. Hmm. <laughs> kind of like being that teenage boy that's afraid God's going to call him to marry an ugly girl. <laughs> We're like, am I going to have to read that book? (laughs) And, you know, 10 years later, I am wanting to read my son's science book. Yes. I never would have thought that I would want to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I see that happen all the time. With me, I didn't love math and I wasn't very good at teaching it to my children. But now I sort of get excited about math because I finally have gotten to the place where I see that it's a it's an open possibility, even though at the age I'm at, I still think, oh, maybe I'll get on Khan Academy and really, really learn, you know, pre-cal or something. I haven't, <laughs> but that's, you know, always there. Mm-hmm. For sure. Well, and what's the Charlotte Mason quote about the open doors and life not being long enough? And I think that's part of our experience homeschooling over many years is that we find, you know, we're the ones whose life isn't long enough to follow all those doors through. It's not just Mm -hmm. our kids that experience that. You know, one of the questions on our notes that we were talking about was um, how Charlotte Mason encouraged mothers to learn and not just children to learn, which is what we're talking about today. There is that term mother culture, and we throw it around. She never u- actually used that term. And yet it, it does describe a lot of what she was saying. Where do you think that whole idea comes from in her writings? Do any of you have any insight into that? Well, it's from a Parents Review article that appeared in 1892. Oh, the word mother culture. Yeah. So that was the title. She didn't write it. And the person, we don't really know who wrote it because it was just the initial, the letter A. Oh, okay. But, um. She edited it, of course, because she edited everything. (laughs) But that's where the original term comes from. And it's it's been interesting to me because I feel like mother culture has, I don't want to say degenerated because I feel like that sounds mean, but kind of degenerated into like my watercolor project and my knitting project and my whatever. And that's actually not what it's talking about. Mm. Not that those things aren't valuable at all, but- But the original article was talking about the importance of the mother not losing her ability to read and think Mm. and to continue her intellectual 
growth so that when she had teenagers and young adults, she was fit to give them advice then. And she didn't stay herself, you know, the self that had all those children and then never matured would be a self that wasn't fit to be an advisor and, to her and children. And children will feel that way. I mean, they're going to feel that way a little bit, but I do think that they can tell if you're someone who's learning or someone who is just expecting yeah. them to learn. And they will not respond to their mother in their older years, in the upper high school levels, if it seems to them that she is stagnant and not growing as a person. Right. And why should they? They are starting to become their own persons and starting to take, not, not that they're becoming their own persons, but they're t starting to take control over themselves. And, and at that point, they're probably asking that question, should this person be teaching me. Now, they may not be totally qualified to answer that question, but it's up to us to help them to see why we should be teaching them, even if we're not always teaching them every subject. I do think children respond well to that, to seeing their mother's learning. Oh, yeah. Well, she, the gal who wrote this article, I wish we knew her name and not just her initial, but okay. she <laughs> compares mothers and fathers because she talks about how the father's going out into the world. And so, you know, he might be reading and he's gaining all this experience oh, year yes. by year. And he's, she's saying that you just don't see children questioning their fathers the way they do their mothers. And she thought part of that was because the moms are like, I don't have time to read a book and I don't have time to think. And really the child was disrespecting the lack of growth in the mother that rather than just the mother herself. Yeah. And how many people have stories? Um, my dad um, had a very poor mother that grew up in the inner city, but his mother loved to learn. Mm -hmm. And he remembered that his whole life. I mean, that has, that has colored his life decisions because she instilled in him an example of someone who really wanted to know more. And even though she was in an environment where that was extremely difficult. Hmm. And David Hicks talks about his mother. She was a woman who pursued education. And when they, when he brought home a list of books, she would read them just so that she could talk to him about them. That made a huge impact on his life, even though they, these weren't exactly examples of homeschooling. Hmm. I think it's innate in the idea that um, children are born persons, that everything that Charlotte Mason says about children would then apply to adults. Does that seem plausible? Yeah, we talk about that sometimes. Uh, Dawn and I do, and she'll even pipe up and she'll say, mothers are born persons too. Yeah. <laughs> and so just kind of that, that same, you know, if, if the 20 principles apply to children, they apply to adults hmm. and adult learning as well. Yeah. One of my favorite parts of her, her volumes is, um, besides it's my favorite volume, is Towards the Philosophy of Education, which is volume six. But at the very end of that book, she has a pamphlet that they published in the book called The Basis of National Strength. And as you read through this pamphlet, it's a summary of really kind of all the things that she has said so far, it's really to me her saying, I'm taking part in the great conversation that has gone on before me. And here's my part in that. And here's what I think about education, taking everything from the past and all that we're thinking of now. Here's my contribution to the great conversation. But in this pamphlet, she talks a lot about 
what we would call the bell letters or uh, the humanities uh, and, and wide reading. And one of my favorite quotes here is she said, she says, letters are an imperative and daily requirement to satisfy that universal mind hunger, the neglect of which gives rise to emotional disturbances and as a consequence to evils that dismay us. But once again, she brings up the mind, and it's not just the mind of children she's talking about, because throughout the pamphlet, she's saying, what if the men and the women in our culture were all educated like this? What if, you know, the coal miner was sitting by his hearth reading reading in the evenings? Um, what kind of life would that be? How would their minds be satisfied, and how would that affect just the general well-being of, of our country. And um, I think that mm. covers that whole idea that you mentioned, that, that it, it's, it isn't just knitting or artwork. It, it's feeding the mind on letters and on words. How does this differ from, say, self-care? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that was Misty. such an evil laugh. <laughs> I hear that evil chuckle over there. Speaking of cackling. <laughs> Ooh, I got to hear what's behind all this. <laughs> um. Well, I think, I mean, a lot of what you see, or what I see anyway, self-care, if you're like, look on Pinterest, is manicures or shopping or chocolate. And those aren't things that actually satisfy your soul, which is what we're longing for. And what we're, you know, when we're doing the dishes, the laundry, the changing diapers, all those little things, we want a break. But I think we don't realize the kind of break that we need is actually this one that's not the easy consumable entertainment distract a different kind of distraction. It's more of a deeper engagement that we need. You know, that's interesting. I, I found this article in the parents review, by the way, it's not like I sit around reading the parents review. I, <laughs> I just don't believe you. To, just, <laughs> sure. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I just happened to find it when I was looking for something else and I bookmarked it cause I knew we were going to have this conversation, but it was called the, um, the influence and teaching of the educated mother. And the first part of it, is trying to define like what is an educated mother in the first place. And there's a sentence in there that says the original original meaning of the word educate is to draw forth. So education should therefore aim at drawing forth all the different powers of human beings. True education should train the intellect, establish principles and regulate the heart. One of the things that made me think about though, is that the vision of self-care is just very and sometimes it's necessary and sometimes it's a wonderful and fitting escape, mm -hmm. like in a sure. crisis <laughs> to just leave and, you know, whatever. But in general, it's just a really short-sighted goal. I mean, there's this sense of like, I'm just going to spoil myself. When you read the mother culture article or you read this article, there's such a focus on becoming what you're created to be as a human and then that spilling over, not as something you're pursuing even just for yourself, but to the benefit of your family and your community, like the, the lives that you touch become enriched by your influence because of you being more developed as a human being. You know, self-care is often very me focused and we can feel that way in the moment. I think if we're like, kids, don't bother me for 30 minutes, I'm going to read. 
and we feel like we're being really selfish. But that whole idea of, but having a more human mother, like my manicure is not going to make me more human, (laughs) but having a more human mother is a big benefit for my children, especially over the long term. So even in self-care, the better self-care is going to be aimed at something that is not just going to benefit you only, but also those around you. And I do think that that is true. That is something that I've seen in my own life as I've gotten older and I've continued to develop as a person, continue to pursue this vast, I don't know, doors open and um, opportunities arise. And, and somehow, you know, God has taken all those little moments of reading and turned it into something that can help other people. And I wasn't, you know, that wasn't, I was just trying to be faithful with my children. And I was excited about learning because I had missed so much. But now looking back, I can see, oh, this was purposeful for not just my own family, but for other people um, in in my community and other people that I run across. And not just to have some national platform, but, but to actually just have a platform in my community where I can, where a mom can say something to me and I, or ask about a book or, you know, to have all that um, has been something quite unexpected and surprising. Whereas if I had just taken a bubble bath, (laughs) (laughs) you know, with 30 minutes, that wouldn't have had, I I mean, it would have been nice. um, (laughs) Well, Pam's policy is to combine those two. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, there you go. Yes, Yes, I read the book in the bubble bath. (laughs) You're brave. I feel like I'm too clumsy. <laughs> yeah, you know. Ultimate he- hedonistic self <laughs> There you go. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I think about that a lot because I see, and, and I don't, I'm not, I don't think anybody is against self-care. I think maybe we're very good at taking care of ourselves normally so that often we misjudge how much we actually need. I mean, there's a lot of choosing in life. And and I don't like to say that because there are people really, really hurting in horrible situations. But for the vast majority of us, sometimes, you know, not getting a vacation or not, those are things that we can survive. We we can live with less money or less of what other people have. Um, it's just a matter of saying, hey, I'm going to get up today and I'm going to smile even though I don't have what everybody else around me has, I don't have to have a mani petty because my <laughs> life is depressing sometimes. <laughs> I don't know. I, I really struggle with that because I, I see that I have benefits in my life from just letting go of things. I see that people do need self care. So I just really struggle with when do we need self care and when do we just need to say, okay, I don't get self care today. Um, I definitely think when it comes, when it naturally arrives at your doorstep, you should take it. You should <laughs> never feel guilty about self-care that has appeared before you mysteriously. <laughs> like if yeah. you do have time and you and you need, you should take it without guilt. But um, if you don't have it and it isn't coming, I also think that you can get through that too. Well, I know I've spent time just, you know, basically whining in my own head because what I really want and so therefore I think that I need is just a day off mm-hmm. and a day out. Yeah. And, you know, something else will happen. I'll, even if it's just driving somewhere, 
and you know driving the kids somewhere to the errands or I, I take a walk or just something where I end up having 15 20 minutes of having an uninterrupted thought mm-hmm. <laughs> or reading and actually following one thought without being interrupted and say okay I didn't actually need an entire day off like I thought I needed but I did need that 20 minutes of not being interrupted that was that was actually the refreshment I was looking for. And that taking the day off was the only way that mm-hmm. I could imagine getting it. But there were other ways to just fit that in that didn't seem so glamorous or whatever. But it was really just having 15 or 20 minutes without someone else talking to me that yes, <laughs> was yes. sanity saving. <laughs> right, right. I, and I could see that too. And maybe just being opening our eyes and saying, oh, look. I do have 15 minutes and I can be thankful for that. And then, and then maybe things will come along like that. I'm, I'm definitely not saying. I want to bring something up because Brandy was talking about uh, Charlotte Mason earlier. And she said that talking about mothers losing their ability to grow and learn because they're not doing this mother culture thing. But what about the mother who doesn't feel like she ever had that ability in the first Mm -hmm. place? Because we've talked about the resentment of just, you know, these horrible educations we've had where we don't want to learn anymore because it was, you know, it was never a good kind of learning. You know, it was always take the test, you know, cram and dump and that kind of stuff. And so we don't want to continue that. But then also we feel ill-equipped for any kind of real learning. So mm-hmm. what do we say to, to those mothers? I say just jump in, jump in somewhere, read something easy, but just do some little, do some little things that get you going in that direction. You don't have to be somewhere like Brandy was saying, it's not a destination. We're not trying to get somewhere. So it really doesn't matter. You can start learning at any point on the spectrum where you are. Um, you can start trying to to know more than you knew before, and that usually, once you dip your toe in there, um, that usually leads to that, and that leads to something else, and that leads to something else. I mean, even if you're just reading Little Women to your children out loud, and you're reading about things you don't know about, and you decide to look that stuff up, that's a beginning. Um, that's not to say you have to look everything up and be the annoying person who can't read two pages <laughs> to your kids without, oh, look, look. Um, I think that's sometimes counterproductive in in all this information we have on the internet, but you can read for 15 minutes and think, think about what you read. Um, You don't have to start as it as a major project. Or we don't have to start with like hard classical literature. We could start with just something worthy we haven't read before. I always say start with murder mysteries. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Because some of the best murder mysteries were written by English professors. Hmm. Well, and that's one of the beauties of homeschooling. It also doesn't have to all be another thing that we're adding on top, but we get to start right with that five-year-old and the six-year-old. And I think that was part of my problem. My my 20-something problem didn't, my 20-something pride didn't want to be told, do what your six-year-old is doing. That's actually valuable. I wanted to be too good Mm. for that. And some of it is coming to the realization, like, actually, even what the six-year-old is doing is a wonderful experience that even I can take Mm -hmm. part in and learn from. Uh, One thing I would add to this conversation, 
I'm trying to think of how you phrased the question, Pam, but you were talking about like, what if you never had it? My one thing that I would think about just because I've encountered this more lately than I used to is why did you never have it? I think some moms never really learned how to read, like actually decoding words. Hmm. And so I'm encountering some moms that are like they hit about fourth grade reading level or so, and they're wanting to drop books with their kids. And when I really talk to them, I realize I think they may even have undiagnosed learning disabilities or something. And so as a mom, it's okay for us to step back and say, maybe I need help. Maybe I need to find like a self-paced phonics course online. There's no shame in if we actually need to refine our ability to read, like physically to do the task of reading. There is a segment of the population that wants to homeschool, but doesn't have the physical skill of reading. In the Mother Culture article, I thought it was really interesting that, because I had a debate with someone, you know, do audiobooks count? And I'm like, of course, audiobooks count. But what's interesting is she does say in here, she talks about the ability to read fast. And she says, the habit of reading is so easily lost, not so much perhaps the power of enjoying books as the actual power of reading at all. It's incredible how after not being able to use the eyes for a time, the habit of reading fast has to be painfully regained. There's a couple things there. And the first is, did you ever have it? Because if you didn't, you you may actually need help. And that's okay (laughs) to get that help. But the other is realizing if you haven't read a book in five years, you're actually behind where you were when you left off. That was what shocked me. I didn't read very much for a few of the first years of my motherhood. And so then when I tried to pick up something that I thought I I could totally have read fresh out of college, but because I didn't read, (laughs) I couldn't read the things that I thought I should be able to read, if that makes sense. So I actually had to spend time regaining skills that I had lost. Yes. And I think that's where the murder mysteries come in. Yeah. They actually, they're page turners. Anything that's a page turner can help you get back into the, um, not a bodice ripper, but a page turner. Um, uh, And I, I, I don't think just any page turner either, but there are some very good books that compel you to keep going. And for someone with the ability to read who struggles with that, you know, that's great. And then the small amounts, you know, always back to that. If a mom can just read a little bit, say she is reading something from Ambleside year four, and it's daunting because some of those books are daunting. Yeah. Then maybe she could just read a little bit of that, a paragraph, and just think about it and try to think about how those words were put together. That's why people don't understand Plutarch, because the words are not put together like we would put together words. (laughs) And they make perfect sense once you figure it's like a puzzle. Once you put it all together, then it's almost like you've learned to read a different language, even if you're reading it in translation, which most all of us do. But it is archaic to us the way those words are put together. Mm -hmm. So sometimes if we just read them very slowly and let them sink in and think about what they mean, not just read it and drop it, but actually say, well, what are they saying here? Because at first pass, it it don't make no sense. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So true. And by the way, Cindy, we don't allow language like bodice ripper on our (laughs) podcast. So... Before we switch over, you're going to have to clean that up. I have literally never heard that term before. 
Oh, you haven't. <laughs> well, just imagine a cover of a book where the guy's shirt, like, yeah. kind of open, or a girl's shirt, kind of open. Well, the reason I say that is because when I talk about low literature, like murder mysteries, I don't want people to think that they're you can go too low there is first of all most mysteries are not going to do the job that we're talking about um, but there are some that will and also we don't you know reading romance novels is not going to help you in any way um, become a better person name somebody Uh, the daughter of time Mm. uh, yeah yeah. that was that was a really enjoyable historical read and it was i was so proud it was from the ambleside (laughs) list (laughs) yeah Yeah. must be a good (laughs) and pam what was yours we we did that oh yeah the louis lamar book um the lonesome gods yeah yeah And all of Louis L'Amour's books, I mean, if you read all of them, they become kind of cliche, but he was a very well-read, intelligent man, and his books reflect that. And if you're starting somewhere, you know, what a great author to read that isn't too far away in the past, but um, he also has a level of education that we don't have, Mm -hmm. and he was a self-taught man. So there's hope for us. (laughs) Well, I mean, there's hope. That's, I think there's hope for everyone. I, I think that we just have to start where we are and just taking small baby steps in the right direction and towards yeah. a philosophy of learning, towards a, hmm. a, a lifestyle of learning based on real words, real mind food, not uh, pap, I guess you would call it, or um, pablum, as they say in, in Charlotte Mason. How did that start for you, Cindy? I mean, like you have all these little babies. And you just picked up a book and started reading? I mean, where where did this all come from for you? Well, I was a reader. I always was a reader. I think what happened was, and I knew when I graduated from high school, something was wrong. Um, I knew by reading that I didn't know what people were talking about when they would talk about things. But when I started reading these, I picked up some old book. I remember it was just like a little anthology of stories about Daniel Boone and George Washington and some some of these people, Dan Beard, just it had a lot of little stories in it. And I was reading it out loud to my children and I realized that I didn't know any of these stories. I didn't know anything that had happened to these men. I had never heard of this. Hmm. And it was fascinating and, and, and my mind enjoyed it and I fed on it I ended up reading that book aloud to all my kids over the years so I was just a little it wasn't even it was just like almost like a reader Hmm. but everything in it was new to me and so I started moving my reading towards this book mentioned this book so I'm going to read this book and that mentioned this book and I'm going to read that book and um and I went on at that pace, um, just things that I felt like I should have read. And then when I, what would happen when, when I would read a book that I should read and plow through it, no matter how long it took, I almost always found that I enjoyed that book. Hmm. And so that gave me, I started getting braver and braver and braver about what I was reading. And I still haven't read um, many, many, many classic books that I hope to, to read someday. Hmm. What about you? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you three. <laughs> I don't, for me, I, it's funny. I'm like, it's really hard for me to remember because I 
was so anemic for like the first, I don't know, like oh. eight, eight years of my motherhood. And so I just kept real, I kept feeling like I wasn't mentally with it the way all the other people around me were. And I thought mm. I was just tired. I mean, and I was just tired, but it was a different level of tired. Absolutely. <laughs> it was Absolutely. like, apparently I was at blood transfusion levels for a really long time. So I didn't get a transfusion. I just was kind of like in a fog. So I don't have a lot of memories of my kids being small or like, it's all just kind of gray. But with that said, one thing I remember was that you mentioned Charlotte Mason. And so my husband bought me her volumes. Mm. And so really like, I think the first hard book that I had read since graduate school was when my oldest was about four probably. And my husband had bought those and I just started struggling my way through her books, which like I said, my reading level had fallen. So they were hard for me at the time. So you, they were hard for you. And that's nice for people to know, I'm sure. But you just kept reading. Is that right? Yeah. The story I always tell is like, I read through it and uh, volume one, cause mm -hmm. you know, they were numbered. So I was like, I guess I should read the first one first. <laughs> so, so I read this book and all I got was like, we should go outside. So we went outside and I read the book again. I mean, it it was really literally like that. And I probably read it three or four times before I moved on to another one, which I did not read them in order after that. I mean, really, until I started schooling my kids, I think I was just trying to learn to read the books that you were recommending. <laughs> it's all your fault. <laughs> Which were hard books. Yes, they were. Yes, they were. Well, I was, yeah, because I was at that time, by that time, I had already, I had done that when my son was four years old. I had read Charlotte Mason's works when he was four also. So, um, or six, maybe I'm trying to think my son, Nathaniel had been born when my sister-in-law bought me those volumes and, um, I started reading them and yeah, I don't remember. I know that I don't, un I, I underlined a lot and I think it was like, I underlined the sentences I understood. I did underline it. I had no idea what she was saying. <laughs> I just remember I read the first volume first, probably about the same, a similar time that Brandy did. And what I took away was, I'm really glad I don't live in industrial London. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it was a lot easier to go outside than taking the bus or tra the train. <laughs> no, really. What, what about, about you, Pam? Well, yeah. I have not read Charlotte Mason. <laughs> so I, I am like the odd man out here. One of these things is not like the other. Um, <laughs> but I would say I read a lot of about education. I read a lot of, I did read for the children's sake and I read a lot of John Holt when my kids were young and just other various books on homeschooling that were kind of more the pap that Cindy was talking about, but practical, you know, some were very helpful. And uh, it probably was, I would say, it, my first memory of, of really digging into a harder book. Now, I was a literature major, uh, so I read a lot of oh. Shakespeare, uh, you know, and then I read a lot of 20th century literature that I probably would rather forget, you know, in college. But I think it was probably two years ago. When did we take the class with Dr. Perrin, uh, Misty? Oh, at least three years. Yeah. So it was probably three years ago that I kind of started dipping my toes in. We read the liberal arts tradition and we read leisure, the basis of culture. And then my local school, a group, we were starting to 
to jump off into things like abolition of man. So it, I'm really new to the whole thing. But as a career woman, did you have, were you educating yourself in some way all those years or is this new? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And honestly, I still tend to lean towards and I don't know if it's my personality or or what the deal is, but I am constantly educating myself. Mm-hmm. But it, it doesn't tend to be these deep thinking things like these other girls do, <laughs> these philosophy kinds of things. I really kind of dig more into the practical. You know, if there are practical things you need related to my work, I'm your girl. Right. But, right. you know, deep thinking about stuff and that's that's not necessarily me. So I try to do just enough of that so they don't take my Scully sisters card away. <laughs> <laughs> well, when I went to Cersei, when I first started going to Cersei, I got kind of rebuked for being the practical person. I, I remember one time somebody said something to me and I said something to Andrew Kern about it. And he goes, well, that's why you should never be practical. So, um, and yet I felt for some people, I'm very philosophical, but, and when I went over there, it was like, I was definitely the, um, well, how do we work this out in our everyday life kind of person? That's why, that's why you appeal to me. (laughs) David Hicks says it's not just knowing, it's doing and doing is practical. Yeah. I, and I, I know sometimes people will listen to different speakers and they'll just say, oh, it's so beautiful, but, but what does it mean? You know, <laughs> it can almost, you know, but it does, I do think we need those inspirational. We need to be inspired to go out and do something. So moms, you know, it, I don't think it's inspiring to just say, well, you should read for goodness sakes, <laughs> but, but somehow um, they have to see that the end of the road or, or, you know, the journey is worthwhile and it's something that should be done because not just because you should do it, but because you'll benefit and you'll be glad you did it. All right. Well, that is it for part one of this conversation. For part two, make sure you go check out the Scully Sisters podcast and you can do that on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get podcasts. And of course, you can also do it over at scullysisters.com. Thanks for listening.